How many of you desire to one day be married? It's a participation question. How many of you desire to one day be married? Why? I tell you what, let's come back to that in a little bit later. <laughs> Springtime is upon us. Days are getting longer. Temps are getting warmer. Trees are budding. Flowers are blooming. Birds are singing. And love is in the air. I've been doing this long enough to know that there's something about this particular time of year that just gets you people stirred up and looking for love. And don't look at me like you're all holy and whatnot. You know it's right. You know it's true. There's something about this particular time of year that just gets you guys stirred up and in the mood to find love somewhere. That being said, me and my wife Ashley wanted to take an opportunity to talk with you about relationships and marriage tonight. Last week we had a therapy session. This week we're having a counseling session. So do me a favor and turn to somebody around you and tell them, welcome to counseling. As we break into this tonight, I want you to know that it's important that we understand that God has a divine design in place for this particular arena. In Genesis chapter 2, Verses 18 through 24, we see God outline that design in a very clear and concise way. It says, Then the Lord God said, It's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to the every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man he made into a woman and brought her to the man. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Marriage is a covenant monogamous relationship between a man and a woman that lasts for a lifetime by God's design. Which Jesus himself also affirmed while he was on the earth in Matthew chapter 19 verses 4 through 5. There were some people that asked Jesus a particular question pertaining to marriage and relationships. And Jesus said this, Have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female? And said, Therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So Jesus, while he was on the earth, affirmed the design that his father laid out at the beginning of time for the covenant relationship of marriage and how it is supposed to be worked out. Marriage is a gift from God. But so is singleness. And I want to take a moment tonight as we get rolling to address this side of things as well because churches all over the place do a great job of holding marriage conferences and family conferences but you don't see very many singles conferences get advertised and we as a church have done a poor job 
in overlooking that specific group of people that are a part of our bodies of Christ as well. So I want to speak just briefly about singleness. Marriage is a gift of God. But so is singleness, as strange as that may seem. And listen to what the Apostle Paul said as he wrote to the first, as he wrote to the church in Corinth in the context of being a single man. Listen to what he says in 1 Corinthians 7, verses 6 through 8. Now, as a concession, not a command, I say this. I wish that all were as myself am. He's talking about being a single man. But each has his own gift from God. One of one kind and one of another. To the unmarried and the widows, I say that it is good for them to remain single as I am. Paul saw his singleness as a gift from God. And it's important that you understand that as well. I asked you earlier who all desired to get married one day. And most everybody in the room raised their hand because most of us have that desire to find someone one day to spend the rest of our lives with. But you need to understand that that is not a desire that has to be fulfilled. Singleness is a gift as well. There are things that God can do in and through your life as a single person that you don't have the freedoms to do bound up in a marriage relationship. I had a conversation with a secretary in our office today, and I asked her if I could share this tonight. She has been single her entire life, never found somebody to marry, never had kids of her own. And so I asked her, I said, Miss Peggy, how have you found contentment in being single? I said, was there ever a time when you desired to be married? And she said, yeah, absolutely. But it just never did work out. And I said, well, how have you found contentment in singleness? And she said, well, for one, I think they need to understand it's not an easy thing to do. And that contentment that she found didn't come just overnight when she realized that a marriage relationship was probably going to be something that didn't get worked into her life. But she said, it's amazing how when you will submit yourself to God's lordship over your life, how when he takes you down a specific path, he will give you contentment down that path as well. She's like, I never had a marriage relationship, but God surrounded me with other ladies that are single and those are my relationships. I never had the opportunity to have a family of my own, but God blessed my family, so I have nieces and nephews all over the place that are just as much family to me as if they were my own kids. So I need you guys to understand, go on your search to find a spouse if that's your desire. But realize that this is a desire that does not have to be fulfilled, no matter what the world puts in front of you, no matter what pressures you may face saying that you have to be married that you have to start a family. It is a desire that does not have to be fulfilled. If God has called you down a path of singleness, consider that a gift just as much so as being married. I ask you at the beginning to consider why you desire to get married one day. And most of us would answer because it's just what I want to do. I want to have a husband. I want to have a wife. I don't want to be alone. I want to have sex one day. I want a family of my own, and it's funny that we enter into what is to be the most selfish relationship we have with the most selfish of purposes. I want a husband. I want a wife. I don't want to be alone. I want to be able to start a family myself one day. We enter into what is to be the most selfish human-to-human relationship that we have on this earth with the most selfish of purposes. And it goes to show that most of us, I think, have no idea what we're getting into from the beginning. So tonight we want to help give you an advantage. 
by letting you see some things we had an awareness of but no knowledge of in showing you what we wish we knew before I do. Seven things tonight we want to show you guys that we wish we knew before I do. And the first one is this. It's that marriage is 100-100. It requires a 100-100, not 50-50 effort. It's both of you being all in with the relationships and responsibilities that come with it. If you want max enjoyment, let me give you some advice. Give max effort. This is something that I had to learn myself because I thought, well, two and two coming together, right? I'll bring 50% in. Ashley brings 50% in and we get to 100, right? But I began to understand real quick that, wait a second, if I'm only giving 50% effort and she gives 50% effort, then I'm leaving 50% out somewhere. So marriage as a relationship is a 100-100 thing for both of you. If you want max enjoyment, give max effort. Both of you, not just one of you. If one of you gives max effort while the only other one gives half effort, that's not enjoying, it's exhausting. And too many people walk around within the context of their marriage relationships enduring it instead of enjoying it. That is not God's design. God designed marriage as a gift to be enjoyed, not endured. I kind of had that same mindset. I was like, okay, well... I'll do my part, he'll, he'll do his part, we'll live in harmony. <laughs> it does not work that way because things come up, like what happens when one of you get a new job? And so it's taking a lot more mental energy and a lot more of your time. And so when you come home, you need to relax more. Like if, you, if he's doing that, he can't give us 50 because he's trying to, you know, relax at home. Or what happens when you're dealing with extra family drama or a friend really needs more of your time and energy than normal. And so... You know, you pick up for each other, and sometimes you feel like you're doing the whole hundred by yourself, and that's okay. There are seasons like that. But we had someone early on tell us to always try to outserve one another, and that was really good advice because um, not not to be like I'm the I'm better at serving him than than he is serving me, and not to be like the one above the other one, but also just always to have like a servant heart coming from genuine love for one another and so if you're constantly trying to outserve one another then you're going to naturally give that 100 100 that we were kind of talking about so keep in mind when you get ready to enter into a marriage relationship go into it with the mindset of this is 100 percent all of me given to all of my spouse the second thing is to emphasize the little things this has always been a work in progress for me for the most part, but emphasize the little things. And here's what I mean by the little things. It's taking out the trash. It's helping with the laundry. It's helping with the dishes. It's, and some of you guys, I know you'll be able to relate to this one day because you've been living the single life for the most part and you've got full reign over this, but it's learning how to share the TV remote from time to time <laughs> as well. And you laugh because you think it's funny, and it is, but I promise you're going to find out one day. When you get in the house, it's nice to let your wife be able to watch her shows one day. If she wants to go and watch Grey's Anatomy, give her an opportunity to go and watch her Grey's Anatomy. You can't constantly be hogging a TV remote to watch your hunting or your fishing shows or watch ESPN to find out what's going on in the game. It's the little things like that. Emphasize those little things within your marriage. It's doing those things, but it's also little things in this aspect. It's expressing and voicing appreciation. And I say expressing and voicing. A lot of us think we show appreciation by the actions that we do. 
But a lot of times, just expressing and voicing appreciation goes a lot farther than you showing appreciation. Let your spouse know how much you appreciate them. Let them know how much they mean to you. Send a text. Make a phone call every now and then. Guys, instead of her being the one that always calls you on the lunch break, you call her on your lunch break one day. When you're walking down the sidewalk, instead of it always being her that grabs your hand when you're out in public, you grab her hand while you're out in public one day. When you get in the car, open up the door for her every now and then. She's probably thinking, well, I hope you practice what you preach. (laughs) Open up the door every now and then so your lady can walk through without having to touch a door handle. Emphasize the little things. I'm really good at always saying thank you when Trey does something that typically I do or something that is just kind of out of the norm for him. And it's not because, like, he deserves a thank you because he did that, put forth the effort. But usually it's because I, I want it to be known that I noticed and that it didn't go unnoticed or unappreciated. But also, like, literally, he grills every now and then. And I make sure to tell him thank you for cooking dinner every single time, do I not? That's one thing I'm good at. I don't brag on myself a lot, but I'm good at that, you know. Um, But it's more than just, like, him doing his part. It's him doing what needs to be done in the home and me thanking him because I have 10, 20, 30 extra minutes to either do something for myself or do something that I would have put off for tomorrow. Or when I put Graham down for bed that night, I can go sit on the couch with him and watch a full show instead of having a billion things in the back of my mind that I know I need to be doing. So um, I think just like even little thank yous, like the other stuff is so important too, but expressing that is so huge. I heard some advice early on in our marriage life and it stuck with me ever since. This guy was talking about the context of his marriage relationship and he says everything that he does, he does it with this mindset, form to flourish. So everything that he does within his life, schedule-wise, work-wise, things around the house, he forms them in a way so that his wife can flourish in her walk with Christ and in the things that she desires to do, whether it be at her job or whether it be within the home. So guys, form so that your wife can flourish, so she can have opportunities, so she can have an extra bit of time to do something that she desires to do. And ladies, the same way. Form so your husband can flourish in his own walk, and the things that he desires to do and that he enjoys doing as well. So take that and place that within emphasizing the little things as well, and you'll find that it will be super beneficial for your marriage relationship one day. Number three, know your role. Know your role, and I mean this in a biblical sense. As a husband and a wife, know the roles that God has laid out for you and expects from you as a husband of God and as a wife of God. Ephesians 5, 22, verse 30 outlines this in a perfectly clear way. Paul writes and says, Wives, submit to your own husbands, ask the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church's body and is himself its Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. So since Paul mentions the wives first, 
Babe, why don't you go ahead and lead out in this one for the ladies? I feel like most college girls have questions about this in particular. And we have quite a few college girls that have graduated and moved on and gotten engaged. And we FaceTimed with them or I've been chatting with them. And they're like, I don't know how to be submissive. Like, I mean, I know it says that. But like, how do you do it? And I have answered that question so many times. So if you go through Scripture... Scripture tells us a lot of things that wives are. They're supposed to be, yes, submissive. They're supposed to be servants and helpers and supporters and encouragers and not nagging. Remember that one? That one's hard. Um, But submission, you know, it it boils down to a lot of respecting your husband. And so one of the ways I just kind of sum it up for a lot of girls when we're talking about it is if, if your husband is walking with the Lord... It's easy to be submissive with him or to him. But also, if you have a mindset of honoring your husband and building him up and supporting him and respecting him, then submission will naturally occur. It's not something you have to think every single day, okay, I gotta be submissive today. Like it, it just falls into place when you're both seeking the Lord and trying to walk in step with the Spirit. And so I feel like so many people get fixated on that word because we know the negative that comes with it and that our society totally puts it down. But it's a beautiful thing when it's worked out the way that it's supposed to be. That's right now, Lee. I think it's important, ladies, that you understand, too, that when God created man and woman, they were created equally in the image of God. So within the context of the marriage relationship, I don't beat my wife down. When she does something that I don't agree with, I don't take my belt off and whip her all over the house. <laughs> Yes, he does. Screaming and yelling, submit. (laughs) And I think so many people have this skewed image of what it looks like. It It is a respectful thing that is a dual respectful thing. Guys, listen to me. As as much as your wife respects you as her husband, you respect her as your wife. So speaking of the guys, let me lay out some stuff for you guys that God expects from you as your role as a husband in the home. For me as a husband, it is my job, as I see it in Ephesians chapter 5, to love her in a few different ways. Number one is to love her unconditionally. Paul says, as Christ loved the church. The way Christ loves his church is an unconditional love. So men, love your wives unconditionally as Christ loved the church. Love her sacrificially. Paul goes on to say, as Christ gave himself up. For the church, you love your wife in a sacrificial way. That means you give up things in order to enhance her life, in order to make her better in her walk with Jesus, but love her spiritually as well. Paul lays out that he might sanctify. So Jesus did all this for the church that he might sanctify her. In other words, build her up, conform her to his image. Guys, you have a spiritual responsibility within your home to lead your wife and your future family one day in a way that fears God and knows his word. Love her spiritually. I trust you. Trust me, you will stand before God one day and give an account for how you led your home as a spiritual leader within that house. But then love her provisionally as well. He says, love your wives as your own bodies. I guarantee you guys in here, you take care of your own bodies. When you get hungry, what do you do? You eat. When you get thirsty, what do you do? You drink. When you get tired, what do you do? You go to bed. You take care of your own body. In the same way that you take care of yourself, that's how you to love your wife. You are to treat her with that kind of an equal amount of love. And you also respect her, support her, and encourage her. Listen, this is big right here. Your wife suffers physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually when you don't step into and fulfill the roles God has laid out for you as a husband in your home. So know your role. 
Next, we wish we knew how to fight well before we got married. And let me say this, arguments are going to happen. That being said, they will forever and always be dumb and pointless and accomplish nothing. So learn how to fight well. And what I mean by that is learn how to apologize. Learn how to forgive and learn how to move on. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. Paul writes, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. We try to make a practice within our home of when we do have an argument or fight that we don't lay down in the bed beside each other without having reconciled. Paul makes it very clear Give no opportunity to the devil. When you go to bed mad at each other, you give the devil all night long into the next morning an opportunity to grab a foothold within your marriage and drive a wedge in between you and your spouse. So learning how to fight well is not necessarily learning how to win the argument. It's learning how to apologize, admit your mistakes, swallow your pride, and be humble as a man And take the initiative if you have to and seek your wife out so that you don't give the devil an opportunity within your home. I think I had this false um, image in my mind that like how to fight well meant that one day we would get to the point where we didn't really have fights. It was just good discussions that were healthy and we grew and we moved on. If anything, like we probably fight worse sometimes. We had a huge fight the other night, guys. This is how ridiculous I am sometimes. I asked Trey, did you talk to so-and-so today? And he said, yeah. And I said, how'd it go? And he's like, what do you mean? And it just flew all over me. And I said, I said, how did it go? And he said, what do you mean? And I stomped to the kitchen, got me some ice cream, came back and sat on the couch. And I was like, I met, how did the conversation go? Like, why can't you not just answer the question? He's like, why are you so mad? I was like, it's because of the way you said it. Because every, every single argument is, it's not what you said, it's how you said it. And so I sat there for a minute, and then I realized, like, 20 minutes into this one episode I was going to watch before bed, I had been ridiculous, and I finally, while eating my ice cream, said, I'm sorry, I was just being a baby. I'm going to bed. <laughs> That's fighting well now. It's, <laughs> go ahead. Let me tell you my shark comeback. It's not what you said, it's how you said it. My response is typically, well, maybe it's not how I said it, it's how you heard it. He says, it's not Y'all what I said, it's how down. you heard. Free of it's charge. what you heard. Um, and, and this is one I really struggle with because when we, especially when we first got married, like when we were dating when we first got married, I did not fight well. I've come a long way. I will apologize now, which is big because I used to be like, okay, we're done with it. We're done with it. I'm not going to say I'm sorry in an hour. We're done with it. We're not talking about it again. So I don't think that's fair. Communication is huge because I wanted to always just step away and let the tension kind of dissolve. And then I would just be like, okay, I'm over it. We're not going to talk about it. But that's not fair because then he didn't get the apology he deserved and he didn't understand what triggered the response in the first place. And sometimes I have to be like, what triggered it is because this, that I know it's stupid, but it worked, and it did this. And so, anyways, like, (laughs) I'm always thinking, Trey needs to learn how to fight well. But, you know, you need to work on yourself. Um, And as I learn how to fight well and do better, like, we're not to the point where we just have a healthy discussion. But we've come a long way. Yeah, it's just one of those things that's going to happen, guys. Guys and girls are just on completely different wavelengths. 
And every now and then you have those opposing wavelengths come together and just crash and burn in a terrible and awful way. We don't fight often, but when we do, we fight big. And you guys may find the same thing to be true in your marriage one day, but here's the thing. Arguments are going to be a part of your relationship, but learn how to apologize. Learn how to forgive. Learn how to move on. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Do not make a tally sheet, ladies, in your mind of something that your husband did seven years ago that you're still holding on to. That's not fighting Well, learn how to forgive, learn how to move on. The next thing we wish we would have known is that adversity is assured. There will be unexpected hardships and challenges that you have to face throughout the course of your marriage. Things that you never saw coming or necessarily planned on happening, such as the kitchen ceiling falling in. While Trey's at church and Ashley's at home by herself. Or moving in after having your home inspection and then your central heating and air unit burning out. When we're broke. (laughs) Perhaps it's the joy of starting a family, but then running into difficulty with a pregnancy. Perhaps it's two beautiful trees in your yard that just decided to die. And for the risk of them falling through your house, having to have them cut down for the nice slow price of $2,200. Why, you're still broke. (laughs) So it's learning to handle those things and realizing that it's going to be something that you face from time to time, but it's also understanding that you process things differently as individuals when adversity enters into your life. The way that I process, handle, and respond to adversity is different than the way Ashley responds and reacts to adversity that enters into our life. So it's important that you begin to understand how each of you responds to that thing so that you don't end up arguing in the midst of your adversity, making things twice as bad as what they really are. Adversity is an assured thing. But you need to have an understanding of how your spouse handles that so that you can have an understanding of how they are reacting or reclusing in the situation that you're in. False image again. I think I had it in my head that when like big things like that, big adversity came, that you know we would sit down, we would talk through our emotions, talk about how we're struggling, and then we would pray for each other and move forward at the exact same pace. And like neither one of us would be left behind. And that's not exactly true because um, especially through the Nikki process with Graham and that type of thing, I mean, we had just lost Trey's papa a couple months before that, but that was kind of a big thing, of course. But the Nikki was probably the biggest thing we experienced together. And I realized that sometimes dealing with adversity looks like Trey's doing well, he seems kind of out in front of me, and he's carrying me or gently nudging me on while he prays for me. And lets me get to where I need to be. And sometimes it looks like I'm standing on prayer in his behalf and dragging his booty behind me because he's just kind of stuck. You know, we're going to process how we're made to process. And I think you have to respect that because um, we went through this quick phase where Trey was really quiet and wouldn't really talk about what was going on. And it 
made me mad. Like, we laid down for bed one night, and then I flipped the light on. I was like, you're going to talk to me about this. I'm, I'm tired of, I've asked you over and over. And he's like, I don't want to talk about it right now. And I, I didn't really respect that, and I just kept pushing and kept pushing. But when the time came and he was ready to talk about it, then we did. And then, you know, so I just think you have to get rid of a lot of these false ideas of how marriage is going to be. Because even healthy marriages don't look like that. And if you put these expectations in your mind and you, you carry them along with you, you're going to be super let down one day. But adversity is assured. And once again, if you're both seeking the Lord and walking in the Spirit, then you can process through it in a healthy way for both of you. And let me add this to that point. The adversary loves to take advantage of adversity. It's an opportunity, it's a moment of weakness for him to enter into a relationship and cause friction and cause stress and cause doubt and cause worry. So you need to be aware that that is an area that he will take an advantage to attack when given the opportunity. Adversity is not the time for you guys to be at odds with each other. Adversity is the time for you to come together and fight as the team that you are in a stronger way maybe than any other times that you walk through within the course of your marriage relationship. So don't let that adversity become an opportunity for the adversary. Let that adversity be something that draws you closer together and pushes you deeper into your relationship and your reliance upon Christ as the center and the foundation of your marriage. Handling the baggage. That's the next thing that we wish we would have known a little more about before we said, I do. And I'm talking about those things that get brought in from your past. Realizing that life experiences are a major factor in shaping us as people and as individuals. There are things that I brought into our relationship from my past, things that I had been a part of, mistakes that I have made that Ashley had to ultimately deal with. There are things that she brought into our relationship from her past that we have to deal with. Things that, that get, whether you realize it or not, things that you will from the way that you are brought up even, that you will project upon your husband or your wife just because that's what you have seen exemplified throughout the course of your life. And so I want to say this because I think it's something good that you can hang on to and remember. Reactions are a product of our raisings. Whether you realize that or not, a lot of your reactions are a product of your raisings. And that will get brought into your marriage relationship oftentimes. The way that you were raised, the home life that you experienced will influence how you react to certain things that your spouse does or says or doesn't do or doesn't say. So you've got to learn how to handle the baggage, so to speak, when you come together as a married couple. So kind of speaking to that, just as an example, um, because of the way I was raised and the home I was raised in, I used to have kind of two modes. If something upset me or frustrated me or made me mad, it was either I just completely shut down and that was all, or I would full-blown act out terribly. So that's just like an example of one of those things that I brought in with me. And I'm a work in progress, and I'm continuing to work on that. But that's just an example to kind of think through because of the home life that I had. You know, you can't do anything about the hand that you dealt, so to speak, with your family. And let me encourage you guys because, you know, you hear the expression, you know, you don't just marry them, you marry the family, do you? That's true. 
100%. But let me encourage you guys, let me encourage you girls, don't let the family be a reason that you don't enter into a relationship with someone who didn't get to choose the people that they were raised with. You never know when God might bring you into a relationship with someone that is going to be the generational sin breaker in that family cycle. And for those of you in this room that have grown up in a family that wasn't necessarily the best atmosphere, you don't have to be who your parents are. That's right. You change the cycle. You change the trajectory of future generations. So keep that in mind, guys. You walk your own path. God has laid out your own calling and your own purpose as a husband, as a wife. You don't have to have a home that looks like the one that you were raised in. Last one. We wish we would have known a little bit more about home management. And these are the things that I think so often you don't think about as you get ready to enter into a marriage because all you can think about is love, love, love. My wedding day is going to be perfect. I'm going to have this dress and he's going to look so handsome. And we're going to have all my girls lined up beside me. We're going to have the beautiful flowers. We're going to have the nice cake. And it's going to be awesome. There's going to be 750,000 people there. Because everybody's going to come. Absolutely. And it's going to be just the greatest thing ever. And the honeymoon, oh my goodness. We're going to the Dominican Republic. It's the most dreamiest spot you've ever seen. Can't wait to go and experience all that that has for us. And you don't think about bills. You don't think about who's going to do the grocery shopping. You don't think about who's going to manage the account. You don't think about meal planning because you got to eat. You don't think about yard work and who's going to do that. Who's going to do the maintenance around the house? Who's going to take out the trash? That's the home management side that we're talking about. We wish we would have known more going into it so we could have had a better game plan of, hey, once we get into this, this is who is going to do what. I'm going to take this area, you can take this area. Instead, we got married and then we had to figure that out. And it was a struggle and still is to some extent today trying to get the home management side sorted out. I have a friend who literally made this massive list of, list of like every chore and bill payments and maintenance and yard work and all that. And she and her future husband sat down with separate copies and she was like write down who you think of the two of us would do each one of these because you bring in that baggage from how you were raised and he wrote her name on a lot of stuff that she wrote his name on and so that was genius why did we not do that somebody suggest that I'm suggesting that to all of you before you get married um but it was it was a nice like wake-up call because like she thought he would pay all the bills and he thought she would pay all the bills and it's it's a lot. You, you just need to take advice and plan ahead in that. You know, it's one of those things that it seems trivial, but if you don't keep a handle on it, if you don't organize it, if you don't communicate about it, this is one of those things that can take you back up the ladder to the fighting well part that will probably give you a lot more opportunities to learn how to be better in that area because a lot of your arguments will be brought out of the home management side and you struggling and battling to figure out who's going to do what and getting frustrated and mad because that person isn't doing what you think they should be doing and why have I got to do everything? And it just causes issues, it causes tension that doesn't have to necessarily be there. So we want to leave you guys and ladies just with kind of some specific challenges 
And then we're going to take a moment and finish up real quick just by answering some of your questions that you gave us through your life groups. So you guys specifically, here's my challenge to you as we finish out tonight. Be the kind of man that a godly woman would want to spend the rest of her life with. As these ladies are looking around trying to find someone to spend the rest of their life with, be the kind of man that she wants to find. And once you find each other, guys, don't stop being that kind of man. Once the chase is quote-unquote over, don't stop being the kind of man that she wanted to pursue after just because you think, well, we're here. Don't be a, what I like to call a bait-and-switch spouse. To present one persona while you're dating, and then once you get married, you become somebody else entirely. Somebody that she doesn't even recognize. Somebody that she saw as a strong, godly leader while you were dating, but now has all of a sudden shrunk back into being non-existent spiritually as a husband. Don't be a bait-and-switch spouse. Be the kind of godly man that a godly woman is looking for and continue to be that throughout your marriage. And for the ladies, um, I just say, you know, seek a man that loves Jesus and then pursue him together. And if you both have that as a main focus, then you won't fall into that game of idolizing your marriage and idolizing your husband and just kind of prevent that, that pit that you can fall into. So just find you a guy who loves Jesus, pursue him together, and stick to that. All right, so to answer some of the questions that you guys had to ask, we're going to run through these fairly quickly. We might not get through all of them, but here's one that we always get. Anytime we have ever done anything like this, whether it be a relationship series that I do or whether it be us just taking some time to talk about relationships and marriage, this question always shows up. How do you know that you were supposed to marry that person? And did you have any guesses throughout the dating Period. My nasty story is a little bit unique. God sent confirmation in just a very clear way. But here's my advice to you. In the same way as you commit to following God with your life and pursuing Him individually while also pursuing to honor Him relationally, He will make that same confirmation just as clear to you when you find the person that He wants you to spend the rest of your life with. Now, will there be second guesses at times? Absolutely. I've talked to many people who have sat in my office getting ready to enter into an engagement while at the same time saying, well, I'm just not sure if this is the one. I don't know. I might be making a mistake. What if I am? It's, it's common and natural to have those nerves when you are making a lifetime commitment. So, yes, it's okay to have second guesses. But God will give you a peace. He will give you a clarity. He will give you a confirmation when you are in the right place with the right person that you're supposed to be in. Anything to add? That was perfect. Whatever. <laughs> All right, number two, if you struggled with a sexual sin, how do you explain slash tell your spouse? Is it, a norm, is it normal to be terrified of telling my future spouse about it and having the fear of rejection? Yes, it is normal to be terrified and have the fear of rejection. But I think most importantly, you tell them early on. You don't tell them two years into the relationship. Um, I, of course, had sexual sin in my past that I had to tell Trey about. That was long before I was a Christian. I didn't tell him in a good, nice way. I yelled at him on the phone because um, <laughs> I didn't want to talk about it. And then I hung up on him and didn't answer his phone calls the rest of the night. So there's that. Don't do it that way. Um, but I think it's so important. Like, you, if you're truly 
considering trying to find someone you're going to marry, you have to be honest. Like, don't get, you know, even two, three, six months into the relationship and then think, this is going really well. Now i got to spring this on them. Just be honest from the beginning. That's part of your story. You, If you have found restoration and healing and redemption, then tell that part of the story. What God has done for you and through you and in you since then. That's huge. And I will add this to that end. You know, sexual sin is a hard thing to deal with. You know, especially in an instance where you've got one person that has saved himself for marriage, linked up with someone who has made a mistake in their past, and isn't, can't say the same thing. And so it can be a situation where, well, I don't want to marry someone who hasn't made that same commitment that I have, that hasn't saved themselves from here, that's made a mistake in the past. Let me, just, let me just say this to that end. Are you without sin in your own life? Are you without your own struggles? Are you without your own mistakes? Are you without your own past? Listen to me, guys. Don't, don't ever let that be something that causes you to walk away from someone who is walking with God because of something that they did before meeting God. Grace and mercy extends over a multitude of sins. And there is nothing more beautiful than seeing that grace and mercy extend within the context of your relationship when God brings you together with somebody. So do, you know, work it out early. Like Ashley said, I think it's great advice. Let's roll through a couple more of these. How do you trust your partner when it comes to fidelity? Well, you do like I do, and you put the Life 360 app on her phone. And he has a tracker on his car. So, you know, where she's at at all times. I'm just kidding. That is not... A serious thing. That's the joke, man. Y'all were way too serious about that for a minute. They were all like, you serious? Like, can we do that? (laughs) Complete joke. But serious question, how do you trust the fidelity of your partner? And I will say this, if they've never given you a reason to doubt, then you have no foundation for doubt. Want to add? I think it's just as simple as that. If they've never given you a reason to, then you have no foundation to place your doubt upon, especially within the context of what we talked about last week with having trust. Trusting in God and then allowing the trust that you have in him to spill over into other relationships of your life. Yeah, like digging into where is that coming from, the questioning and the doubting. Like, is it coming from you saw that displayed in your past by parents or by people you know, but working through that because... If I'm not trusting Trey and he's giving me no reason to doubt, then that's an issue I have to deal with and work through. One more and we'll finish it up. We had a couple more on here, but we're going to hit this one and then bring it to a close. How soon were you intentional about discussing your spiritual beliefs, expectations, and purpose for dating? I will say for us, that wasn't discussed very early on in our relationship, and that is a regret, a major regret. My encouragement and my advice to you would be at the onset of you entering into a relationship, it needs to be very clearly stated and discussed. Your spiritual beliefs, what you hold to, what you believe in, and the expectations that you have. Listen, guys, at this point in your life, dating is not for recreational purposes. You should be dating with the purpose of entering into a marriage relationship. This playing around stuff within the dating game that we have now, it's no good. 
We date with the purpose and the intentionality of finding someone to spend the rest of our lives with. So do not bother getting into a relationship that you don't see yourself spending the rest of your life with. State that at the very beginning. Carry that intentionality into it and make it very evident at the onset what your intentions are and what you hold to spiritually. With that, we'll bring it to a close. I really hope you guys have found some of these things beneficial. If there's any way that we could impart some advantages to you entering into a marriage relationship, then that was our intentions tonight. Hey, this is Trey Mitchell, college and young adult pastor. I just wanted to say thank you for listening. It's our prayer that God uses these messages in a way that challenge and encourage you to live for His glory. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus as your Savior, we would love to help you with making that decision. Just reach out to us through our webpage at underwoodbaptist.org. Be sure to check back in with us next week as we again encounter God through His Word here at Life. <laughs>